In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. As we get you set for the Grey Cup, that's right, for the first time in our podcast's history, the Toronto Argonauts are playing in the Grey Cup and they take on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the two-time defending champs. We will spend most of this podcast obviously talking about the Grey Cup, breaking it down for you in terms of the injuries, the positional battles, changes, a game overview. We'll bring OCDC your way as well as one thing and our prediction. But we've also got some news and notes, and that's where we're going to start things off. All right, JB, let's get into the All-Star selections first, because those were released this week kind of quietly, I felt like. Uh, I, I was pleased with what the CFL ended up deciding here. So the Argonauts end up with three All-Stars, which, you know, that's not a lot for a Grey Cup team, especially you compare that to to Winnipeg getting getting six, I think they, they ended up with. But but I, I thought it was fair. So you've got Curly Gittens Jr. at receiver. Uh, you've got Winton McManus at linebacker. And you've got Jamal Peters at corner. Uh, I guess happy with those three or disappointed anyone's missing? No, that that seemed fair to me. Um, yeah, I I I I didn't think we were an all star laden team, and I'm I'm happy to be the underdog in terms of all stars. I didn't want any more. You know, I I don't think we want to give Winnipeg any any bulletin board, uh, you know, motivation. Um, so I'm I was fine being a little behind Winnipeg in the individual. If there were a couple of people I felt were missing, it's people that, again, I felt were missing earlier in this process, too. I, I feel like, you know, I look at I look at the guards that are that are there. Winnipeg's Patrick Newfeld. I, I get that. Uh, Revenberg for uh, for the Tiger Cats. I, I really feel like Darius Bladek belongs on this list. I didn't expect it because he wasn't even named a divisional all-star. Well, he was briefly before the, the real list came out. But I felt like he was one of the best guards in the league. And so I still feel like he was going to be there, but I wasn't surprised, obviously, him not being a divisional all-star that he wasn't going to be on this list. And I, I did think there was still room for Enoch Mwamba, but that's obviously not going to happen when Wyndham McManus is is named the other linebacker. And I did feel that Winton deserved it slightly more than Enoch Mwamba. But both of those two guys... I, they were, in my mind, the best linebacker pairing in the league all season. I know Calgary has something to say about that, and, and rightly so. I think that's the other team that would be in the mix. It was just interesting that they gave it to two Will linebackers there. You've got McManus and, and Cam Judge. And, uh, you know, that uh, I, I, I'm okay with it. It's not, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, and then the three guys that did get the nod, Curly Gens Jr., that was, that seemed obvious to me. He He was fantastic this year. And... And then uh, Jamal Peters led the league in interceptions. I'm, I don't know. Uh, Jamal Peters is, is he's so interesting because I would like to know how he would do on other teams. He's, he's so irritating to throw against, obviously. He's very long. He's a pretty physical player, too. He's got really nice instincts. I, I don't know that he's the best or best 
two corners in the league. Uh, he, his, his stats are good, but he plays in a system that really favors his abilities. And so I was happy to see him there. I think the picks earned it. But interceptions are a weird stat. You know, you've seen players in the past put up ridiculous interception numbers one season, and then they're not heard from again. And, uh, you know, we've seen that in the NFL. You've seen it in the CFL. So that that's one that I, I don't know if Jamal Peters is going to be an every year all-star. I absolutely believe he deserves to be there this season. But I think that's largely based on people seeing his interception numbers, not necessarily seeing his play week to week. Because his play week to week isn't really highlight material based if you take those picks away. It's discipline, doing his job, you know, sinking when he's got flats, like really sinking deep and relying on his athleticism to be able to come up in close space and and relying on his height to be able to knock away some of those mid-range and deeper passes. Yeah, I think he... Look, it's like sacks for a defensive lineman. Does that mean the leading sacker is the greatest defensive lineman in the league? It's a stat-driven world stat driven league um it's nice like he he got that that's not really a, a sustainable stat but um, i'm happy to see him uh get some recognition because you know he's out there uh playing you know being a part of a, a really good secondary I, I take it more as a nod to the entire toronto secondary um i would bet that they probably feel that way too I, and I think that makes sense. And it is a, it's a system secondary, right? It's this kind of secondary that doesn't have, it's not one guy, this shutdown corner is going right. to take away no, this no, exactly. and we're all going to stack, right? So, um, yeah, you look at the Toronto secondary, you're like, well, we got to give it to somebody. So somebody that's that's got to earn this in the Toronto secondary because they were a really good unit. And you look at the stats and he's the one name, I guess, that jumps out. And so it makes sense. And again, not to not to take anything away from Jamal Peters. I'm not trying to say he's not worthy of being an all star. I just think, like you said, it's we're talking about a, a system here. One guy needed to go forward and he was the guy with the best yeah, stats. And, and so and it's him. He, he is good. He's a good blitzer. He's got great hands. Um, you know, he 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 breaks up passes well. He, you know, I think it is it's not just hollow, hollow stats. He is. He is a good defender, but without the interceptions, he probably doesn't doesn't get noticed. But that, you know, that's not his fault. So it's nice to see him get it. Let's get into some of these uh, conversation topics that came out during media day. So the first is the McLeod Bethel Thompson outburst. Now, I wasn't really going to make too much of this. We didn't even really talk about it post game. We mentioned it briefly in our post game podcast last week. This occurred after a play in which Brandon Banks appeared to catch a ball on the sideline. He was sliding out of bounds as he secured the football. It was ruled incomplete. And Banks and McLeod Bethel-Thompson were adamant about Coach Dinwiddie throwing the challenge flag on this. And we both believe Coach Dinwiddie was correct, ultimately, in not throwing the challenge flag. Because while you can pause a still frame and see... Banks with the ball in his hands and the knee down. It's it's a full blur of a frame. It's 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 not the kind of play that gets overturned. I, I never see plays like that get overturned. If it had been called a catch, it would have remained a catch as well. And Coach Dinwiddie's been burned on that so many times this season. And he's he does listen to his players a lot of the time and and takes them up on that. And and he's lost. He's got a terrible record with regards to challenges this year. And I thought that was the correct call not to challenge this even with that still shot that shows it as a catch it was just it's too close and so it wasn't going to get it overturned but McLeod Bethel Thompson I guess got very animated on the sideline he had to be held back by his quarterback's coach it was brought up today 
Coach Dinwiddie reflected on it in, I, I thought, the most appropriate way. He said, look, no, it's it's not acceptable. That's not something, that's not the way you want it handled. But he wasn't, it's not like he was enraged at Bethel Thompson either. He understood it. And he's like, I get the, I get the frustration from the quarterback and the passion. And this is a guy that wants to win in the most important game of the season. You're going to get emotions, but he's got to do a little bit better next time. And he said something along the lines of that, you know, it's not going to happen this week. How do you feel about that situation? Having had a chance to rewatch it, like what do you feel about about that blow up from Bethel Thompson? Yeah, I think it's fine. Um, I think a bunch of things make it fine. One, this is not college or high school. These are grown men. So we don't need to get into, you know, the he shouldn't be doing that. I think that that that's a different conversation. We're talking about grown men. Um, he was arguing for something, not yelling at him for a decision made, which I think is a distinction that's important. Um, he, he didn't, it didn't seem to affect his play at all. Um, of course you'd like the quarterback's powder to be a little bit drier. Um, but I'm, I'm okay with it. I think he wasn't yelling out of frustration. He was yelling because he was feeling it and he didn't want to come off the field because he was feeling it. You could tell the way he was playing, that, you know, he was kind of in that zone. Guys feel that. Like, he just felt like he was seeing the, the ball well. Um, he was throwing the ball well, and he didn't want to lose an opportunity to keep that going. Um, so I, I don't I don't mind at all. I like I thought Dinwiddie handled it correctly, didn't take it personal. Um, I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, I, I, I was more concerned with the Montreal players screaming at the referee at the end of the game. That to me, was a lot more unacceptable than, you know, just a player feeling, uh, you know, feeling the the adrenaline of the game. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't have any issue with it at all. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I think what I realized more and more throughout the season is how much, and I don't know if either guy would would say this or not, but I, I feel like there's a lot of similarities between Bethel Thompson and Coach Dinwiddie. And I see it more and more every week. They're both such passionate guys. They both can explode at times but yet most of the time we're able to keep their cool they're they're highly intelligent they're the guys who absolutely love the game of football and are to like an obsessive point you know it's always what they're doing and that, i guess that's what you want from your from your quarterback and your your head coach but uh you know the the outburst i think part of the reason that coach Dinwiddie kind of gets it is i could see him having been a you know very similar uh, temperament as a player uh, and you know i haven't watched enough of his old boise state stuff or or even the you know his, his cfl run his time in winnipeg to know if he was ever like that on the sideline i don't think he ever had the the, the cachet to be able to do that but I, i'm sure he would have been heated and fired up and feeling passionately about uh, any game he was in because that's just how he's wired and bethel thompson's the same way Another interesting thing that came up today was in a conversation with Andrew Harris, he told the media, I want to be careful how I word this, because he, he didn't suggest that he would retire uh, if the Argos won the Grey Cup, but he didn't say it wouldn't happen either. And this kind of language, when I was sort of reading the exact quotes, just trying to, because I wanted to make sure I, you know, I wanted to make sure I, I'm not just projecting things. To me, it sounds like 
this is something he's going to very seriously consider if the Argos win the Grey Cup. I think it's possible he retires after the season anyway. You know, he talked about the wear and tear not being the same as it was before in terms of what his body can take. And he's come back now from really serious injuries in, in consecutive seasons. He spent a lot of time injured. And this one, for him to be able to get back for the playoffs was, was miraculous. And I'm just not sure, I'm not sure he is feeling the same motivation to go through that again, but you want to end with a Grey Cup win. So I think personally, I think if the Argos win the Grey Cup, I, I think 100% Andrew Harris retires. If they don't, then maybe it's a little bit up in the air. But is that how you see the situation? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine why he wouldn't retire. He, you know, he'll be 36. He just had a potentially career ending injury. Um, it's been a good year, but a tough year. Um, you know, no tomorrow's promise to no man. Who knows what next year's team will be like? Uh, I never understand why more players don't go out on top like that. I, I would love to see him uh, retire on a win. You know, I, w- I wish more players did that. So, you know, I, I hope he does, to be honest. It's so hard to step away. And especially when you've been doing it for that long, there's a certain point where I, I think like it's almost the the easiest thing is almost to retire at like 2930. I feel like once you once you go past that and you're still playing at a high level like Harris, you see so many guys that once they get to that stage, they don't they they're just not able to. They're not able to stop doing it. And and then ultimately they miss their perfect chance to retire after winning a Grey Cup or after winning a Super Bowl or whatever it is. And then it's a couple years later and it's not the way you wanted to remember them, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's it's easier said than done. It seems logical looking at it from an outside point of view. But when you talk to players that have had to make that decision, it's it's not something that they necessarily see in the most logical way. And even even players that decide and make their mind up, you know what, I don't know if I can do this again. Once spring comes around and training camp's getting going and they start thinking, well, maybe maybe one more year because ultimately it's scary. You know, you've been doing this for a long time. Andrew Harris has been, been playing football for a very large percentage of his life now at the age of 36. He's been playing tackle football forever. And to walk away from that uh, is not easy, although... He did suggest, and this I thought was a really interesting takeaway, he did suggest there was room for maybe coaching in his future. And that is, I think, what might lead to him making the right decision here is that it's not saying goodbye to football. There will be opportunities for him as a football coach. And he talked about the opportunity this year to kind of almost get like an internship, being able to work a little bit as a coach through his injury because he's he's doing rehab and he's helping out where he can. You know, you're still able to help help players out and almost turn into an assistant coach. So I think that might be what leads him to make the decision to retire. I think the Argos win. He looks at maybe shifting his career from playing to coaching. And I think that, you know, that would be that would be just perfect for him. Yeah, it's, it's juggernaut's time. And for any new listener, and I know there are many of you, uh, thank you very much for, for having uh, tuned in. Our, our numbers were fantastic last week. And thank you so much for, for joining the X's and Argos podcast. Juggernaut is JB's nickname for AJ Olette. JB has nicknamed a bunch of Argos and insists on calling them by their nicknames, which I fully support, but no one else knows what they are. So CN Power is uh, is Sean Oakman and Juggernaut is AJ Olette. And I agree, it is, it's time for Juggernaut. JB, this is a weird stat I don't know what to do with. And I've, I, I know exactly the way you're going to think of this, and it's probably correct. Mm-hmm. Looking at the history of Toronto-Winnipeg Grey Cups and how much it matters. All right, so 
The Argos are 6-0 against the Blue Bombers in Grey Cups, but the most recent was 72 years ago in 1950 in the Mud Bowl. Obviously, we're not only talking about different players and different people involved. 72 years, this is an entire different era. However, I'm going to suggest that statistics like that aren't irrelevant. And I'll tell you why in a second, and you'll tell me how ridiculous it is and probably be right, but I'm going to hang on to this. The other one is that the Argos have won their last six Grey Cups, which is the most un-Hamilton thing you could possibly do in the CFL. Six straight times they've gone to the Grey Cup uh, and come away winners. So do these statistics matter? Does this have any bearing on this year's Grey Cup? Uh, I do feel it has some in that when it comes time to to you know when it comes time to talk to the team when it comes time to to get into pregame and to talk about what is required to win a championship and I'm sure pinball will um, have some really powerful words for them wearing the uniform of a team that has been there and done that and won consecutive great cups and now from fallen hands has handed you the torch, I do think that matters. I do think the responsibility and connection players feel to the uniform, to the franchise, to the history, um, and that that they are part of something bigger, that when the Argonauts take the field in the Grey Cup, they do not lose that game. Uh, I do think that is worth something. It's not worth everything, but I do think that there's just no chance the juice that pinball is going to deliver, um, which will resonate because of his great cup says an Argo. There's just no chance that doesn't have an impact on that first quarter. I'm surprised to hear you say that. I really expected you to just say no, and then we'd move on. That's exactly what I feel. I, I think this, I, I think it does matter. It, it it's a psychological thing for both sides, too, because players are being asked questions about this, which, again, is sort of ludicrous because they, they weren't around for these things. They, these these matchups, these previous Grey Cups, they don't involve, they barely involve anyone even on the Argos, like the last Grey Cup team. Um, there's, this is this is not them. This is a, a very different look. You've got, like, what, one, one player still on the team from that? And so that's, you know, that's not what we're, we're talking about. But... It gets in players' heads the way it got in the Tiger Cats' heads the last couple seasons. You talk about a team that hasn't won a Grey Cup in the 2000s. You can't tell me that doesn't play and that didn't have a, a bearing on the outcome of the last couple Grey Cups with the Tiger Cats knowing it. Because you feel, you feel this, uh, on that side of it, you feel pressure. And on this side of it, you feel a confidence. This is what Toronto does. And it's not like all six of these last Grey Cup teams that have won, and I'm, I'm kind of ignoring the historic matchups versus Winnipeg from the 30s and 40s and 50s, but um, looking at the last six that we're talking about, these aren't all situations where they came into the game heavy favorites. There are a couple, there are a couple of these teams that were even head-scratchers as to how they got to the Grey Cup, and yet there they were, and there they were winning it. And so you look at the task that's out in front of the Argos this year, they're playing against this, I was going to say juggernaut, but now you've stolen that word for A.J. Olette's nickname, against this powerhouse team, this potentially dynasty, maybe we call them a dynasty if Winnipeg's able to pull it off this season. And 
they're less afraid of that because they know it's been done before. The Argos have taken out teams like this before, teams with way better records in the Grey Cup when everyone was saying, how did the Argos get to the Grey Cup? How is this team that's at 9-9 nine and nine or, or whatever they were uh, get to the Grey Cup? And, and those teams went out and did it, and Pinball's reminding them of that and talking to them about that and showing them clips of, of these games. And you do end up feeling a little bit like a team of destiny in that, in that case, and that gives you confidence. So it's not meaningless is the, the short answer. The injury report this week is almost exactly what you'd like to see with one asterisk on both teams. It would be amazing if both teams could have come into this game with a fully healthy Zach Kolaris and a fully healthy Wynton McManus. Instead, we don't expect Wynton McManus to play. We absolutely expect Kolaris to play, but he's not going to be 100%. At, at least it's not taking away like the primary function of his game. He's not a he's not a, a runner per se. Um, you know, he's, he's a mobile guy and we don't know how much his mobility is going to be affected. But I, I was sad to see that at the end of the BC Winnipeg game that uh, he, you know, he he ended up with that injury uh, because that it takes away it, it takes away something, uh, you know, just from the, the entertainment value of the game. It takes away something from the lead up because that's what people are talking about this week. They're like, you know, is he OK? He didn't practice today and everyone's flipping out about that. So first of all, 100 percent, Zach Laris is going to play. He's going to be the starting quarterback. I, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how many practices he misses that is going to happen if he can walk which we, he can because we we watched him walk off the plane uh, that alone that walking that level of walking is enough for him to start this great cup so that's what's happening on the other side of the football it's it's really sad that Winton McManus isn't going to get to play in this game we talked about this a little bit at the end of the last game he was potentially the best defensive player in the league this year and to have yet another injury is there any possible way? I know he hasn't been ruled out yet. We're talking about a biceps injury. We don't know the severity of it. Any possible way he plays this week, JB? I, I don't I don't think so. Usually torn bicep is not an injury players play through. Um, so I would say that this is probably some gamesmanship. I feel like that too. I, I think, again, we don't know the severity of it. Maybe they got really lucky. And I'm sure we'll learn about this a little bit more soon. But, you know, maybe they got really lucky and it's something something much more minor than they thought. I just don't see it. And I think if it were something much more minor, like the type of injury we're talking about, and with Coach Dinwiddie telling us after the game last week that, you know, he felt it was probably a torn bicep, then there's not a lot of other things that can be. It's just now we're talking about severity. And that's just not an injury that you can play through in that position typically. Now, maybe there's something I don't know about. Maybe there's something they can they can do. Uh, but you don't want a will linebacker playing out there with the use of only one arm. No, I, I, it's, I, it's I think if he were there. to play, he would probably be, they would probably decide that his worth as a leader is worth the roster spot and that you would potentially use him um, on a spot pass rush, um, maybe uh, maybe a little bit of special teams. I think if you were to do it, you'd probably only play 10 plays. Yeah, and I just don't think they have the flexibility. We saw how hard it was to put together the 45 last week. Like We sat down and, and spent ages on it and didn't come up with a roster that we felt fully happy with. You, you can't. I just don't think you can do that. You've got these guys 
sitting ready to come in. Like, don't forget on the defense, not only has Jonathan Jones stepped in and played extremely well for Wynton McManus, and yes, there's a bit of a drop-off, but he still played extremely well. Don't forget, they've still got like the Mac Defensive Player of the Year sitting on, he's not even sitting on the bench. He's he's not even dressed. They've got the two-time Missouri Valley uh, Conference Defensive Player of the Year not dressed. So they've got an extreme amount of talent that isn't even dressing for games yet. There are, there are so many guys I'm talking about uh, there. I'm talking about Jared Brickman and, and Ali Fayed actually in the reverse order of that. And either one of those two guys could come in and immediately contribute if you're looking to dress another American player. So I just don't think they have that luxury. I think you, I, I think you end up going, unless the injury is just nowhere close to what you and I think it is, I just don't see any way you can dress him. I think he's on the sideline and he becomes an, a, an inspirational leader that way. And I think that is just a far better use of a roster spot. We have to start wondering if there is any change that's going to be made to this depth chart other than McManus. You've now got another week with healthy guys that we know to be very gifted football players. JB, are you at all thinking about making a change for players like uh, like Eric Rodgers, putting yeah, him in the game, yeah, who right. is like a healthy I, scratch? I think, I think Rodgers in for Phillips is one that has been bandied about that I could see. Um, I know he's only, he, you know, it, re- it really would just depend on his relationship with McLeod. And and I would I would think whether McLeod likes throwing to him or not because it is they've had so little time together but I think that's a conversation um do you let BD punt I think that's a conversation oh I don't think that's a conversation no I know you love Haggerty unreservedly but he led the league in punting average he had 48 yards per punt finally didn't I know he had no, but again, I think that was a psychological thing because he'd been told to keep. So you don't think the Grey Cup is going to uh, have any psychological pressure? I get that argument, but I think watching himself last week and be like, "Oh man, like I'm trying to here, I am trying to kick it away from Worthy." Uh, It's a conversation to have. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that is a conversation at all. I know like BD had one game this year where he took over the punting duties, and he was really good. But I just don't think... It would be pretty bold. I grant you, it would be pretty bold. It would be. Um, I probably don't make any changes. I, I I don't think I bring in the Mac kid on the line. Uh, I don't think this is a pass rush game. I think this is going to be a hammer hammer and wall game in the trenches. And I think, you know, maybe maybe you bring another defensive lineman in. But I think, I think it's going to be... Uh, it's going to be very physical. You know, if you watch that BC game, depending on what Winnipeg does... Um, they like the power run. I, I don't I don't see an undersized pass rusher being being the, the thing. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there, but that's what might make yeah, that was that's what might make Brinkman kind of uh, an attractive option there because he's he's a he's a pretty big dude and he can shut down the middle. So if you're yeah. gonna go with one Maybe. of those two guys I don't. I like. I like Fayad though. I like what I've, I've seen from him. I like his quickness. I know it's not that style of game, and we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. But I, I think those are probably. If you're going to see any changes, that's where it's going to be. Any chance? Any chance we see any of the two healthy linemen now? The East Division All Star Center from last year, Peter Nicastro, who's now practicing full, has been practicing for a couple of weeks now, or Isaiah Cage 
uh, who was a healthy scratch last week, who may be on maybe on paper one of their, or if not the don't, best don't offensive so. lineman. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I, it's, it's bonkers. I, I, I don't think so. I, th- I thought the line played really well. You know, in in a in a vacuum, yes, but with the Canadian American issues uh, and how well the line played against Montreal, I wouldn't I wouldn't touch it. Yeah, I agree with you, but I I feel weird about it because I feel like Peter Castro is an excellent offensive lineman. Isaiah Cage is an excellent offensive lineman. It seems so strange to me that they're not, they're probably not even going to be dressed, I wouldn't think. And I I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to get him in if you take McKellar out. I don't know how you balance that. I don't know where you get another Canadian. Yeah, I just don't, I don't feel... You know, I think for sure. I mean, I think for sure McKellar comes out and Cage goes in. I just don't know how you, I don't know how you get away with that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's any way to, to do it. Like if no. you, especially Isaiah Cage, because you have to bring out an American somewhere, yeah. and unless they, you know, and they, they're not, it's not like they're going to replace McManus's spot with with another offensive lineman in dress eight. I just don't see that being a thing either. So, yeah, I don't know. We we wrestled with this last yeah, week. It'd be interesting. I mean, they might they might want to. They might want you know maybe 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 they do. Maybe maybe they like the eight and they bring in Cage. Um, you know. It's a lot. I mean, look, we've we've talked about how great McKellar's been, but you know, this is a great cup. I don't. This is not. This is not the place for 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 rookie offensive linemen. But it's not like he's going to be out there on the field. Like he's not. He's not well, going to be first, playing much. He's first in. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, and I bet you that's you a know, conversation. I, if McManus comes out, maybe. All right, let's go through a position-by-position breakdown uh, looking at these two teams and see who has the advantage. I think both you and I agree that in almost every way when you look at this, Winnipeg has to be considered the better team, and there's a reason they're the favorite in this matchup. I I don't think there's much doubt about that. It doesn't mean that the game has been decided, but I don't think there's much doubt about that. Now, let's look, though, at a position-by-position breakdown because I think that tells us a little bit about where the opportunities are for the Argonauts. So let's start on offense. You've got quarterbacks to begin with. Zach Kolaris, McLeod Bethel-Thompson. You're with me, I think, in that you have to give that to, to Zach Kolaris as much as Bethel-Thompson has played his um, best game no, I of don't, the no, season. No, I don't. I, I don't think so. Interesting. Not the, not the Zach Kolaris I saw play against British Columbia. I, I, didn't, I didn't think he looked particularly good at all. In that game, I think I think McLeod has been better the last five games of the season. Um, I would I would give the edge to McLeod in terms of how he's playing right now at quarterback. Yeah, he's he's playing better than than uh, than Calaris, and he he doesn't have a bum wheel. I agree with you there, and I think if you are just looking at last week, there's no question. I think if you look at the entire season, I think Zach Calaris was clearly the best quarterback, not named Nathan Rourke. But you're right. If we're just talking about recent, yeah, we're talking about the uh, game, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, I know, I know. But it doesn't it doesn't always work like that. Like guys can have have good games here and there, and that doesn't mean that they're the better quarterback. McLeod Bethel Thompson is capable of having a better game than Zach Kolaris. There's no question, and we saw that from both of them last week. But I think if you're just saying which one of these two guys is better at his position, I don't think you can say McLeod Bethel Thompson is a better quarterback than Zach Kolaris as a whole. Uh, well, maybe this week. I'm talking about who. Uh, I'm talking about playing quarterback right now, on Sunday. Who would I rather? So have? if you were putting out a team, 
on Sunday, yes. you would you would have McLeod Bethel Thompson as your QB over Zach Kolaros. Yeah, not over an imaginary Zach Kolaros. Over the current <laughs> Zach Kolaros who didn't practice today. Yes. Okay. All right. Interesting. Um, I I don't know. I don't think I'm there. I and I I love McLeod Bethel Thompson. I've defended him all season. I think his play has been great. I think Zach Kolaros is a really special quarterback, and I think he's got to get the positional nod there. But I love that you're on a different page. I think that's I think that's really exciting. Uh, actually, he did not look good in that BC. Look, he may come out. He didn't. He he may come out and be a god among men, and you know, I'll tip my hat. But I'm just saying, he did not look like um, the dominant quarterback of the league in that BC game. It's true, and he's had a couple games like that though this year. Remember the game in Edmonton, and he looked brutal. Like Caleros couldn't couldn't hit anybody in that game in Edmonton. They were uh, he's, lucky. Yeah, he's, he's good. I just I just give the nod to McLeod for Sunday. Uh, running backs. Are you going with Oliver and Augustine or <laughs> our, our beloved, Juggernaut? Like our adopted our adopted son. I know our fantasy of, backs. Uh, the master of mediocrity. Um, so where are you going there? I I can't, look. I can't. I can't go past. I I can't go past Harris and AJ. No. Um, L- L- Oliveira, who <laughs> we loved in fantasy all year and nobody loved, uh, looked good in the BC game. He looked he looked fresh. He looked um, violent. He looked like Harris. Um, so he's a problem. Um, I'm gonna. I don't know. Can we can we call that? Can we call pushes? I I I would call that a push. I don't I don't think I could just give it to him and say he is better than AJ and Harris combined but I would I would say it's I promise that's my only push but I'm going to say push. I think that's an easy win for the Argos. I don't think I don't think Oliver is anywhere close to I don't think so to either. that combo. Like cuz I I think I I would take I would take AJ and and Harris both like individually over over Oliver. I think they're both better than he is. And uh, and, and I, I just don't even see that as really being that tight. Like Oliveira looks great, but he's running behind a very good run blocking offensive line that Winnipeg's got. I, I just think they're, you know, Oliveira's got a pass protection, but so are so are AJ and, and Harris. I think Toronto's got the advantage there at running back. True, he is not as good at catching the ball as they are. Uh, yeah, and then you've got that yeah, where no, they're, they're I, such I can, great I can receivers. See that. I'll, I'll stay with my push, but I can see that. Offensive line. This I, I again I like the Toronto offensive line. I think they've been they've really performed well in the face of adversity all season long. I think the Winnipeg unit is slightly better. I think they are Yeah. They've been more consistent. Now if let me let me put in a JB style caveat here because you're talking about recently. Recently, the Argos offensive line has been run blocking better than any team in the league. You go back to when Ryan Hunter joined the offensive line, their numbers are mind-blowingly good and better than anything Winnipeg has been able to produce. And they're coming off a game last week when they were also able to keep McLeod Bethel-Thompson upright. So if you're just going based on last week's game, I think you've got a really tight battle. I just think over the course of a season, you look at the guys that are on the Winnipeg offensive line, I think it's a better unit than what Toronto's yeah, got. Yeah, uh, it's closer than it, than it would have been a month ago, for sure. But I think Winnipeg's offensive line is, you know, is very good, is the, the power uh, behind it. I mean, they they just bullied British Columbia off the field in the second half. 
In terms of the wide receivers, uh, this one I think is the toughest one for me to gauge on offense. And I don't want to do a push here, but uh, what do you make of this group? Obviously, you've got you know Shown, who's a star. Uh, if you know Bailey, when he's when he's healthy, is is something. Ellingson um, is is a monster. Dembski has those games. So does Walatarski. They both have those those games where they're just so irritating, and for some reason, no one can cover them, and you don't really know why. Uh, is this a better? Better bombers group than Toronto. <laughs> um, they are a very irritating group um, of receivers who s- seemingly are on un- not <clears throat> that you can't cover. Um, I I would go I would go slight edge Toronto. Shown right now is hotter than anybody, so that probably I think the Toronto wide receiver group is deeper. Um, but shown is hotter than anybody in the league. So we don't have anybody who's catching at the rate that he's catching. So it's, it's an interesting debate. I, I, I give it to Toronto on depth, but it's very close. Yeah, I, I think as a whole, I think the Bombers group is slightly ahead. Uh, but again, you, you put them all up one-on-one and you say, well, is this receiver better than this receiver? When you look at just like what they can do and you look at their, their measurables and stuff like that, the Toronto group to me looks better. But you just watch enough Winnipeg film as we've been doing this week. These guys are always open. They're always open. All of them are yeah, always open. Always and without open. being overly fast or anything like that, no. they're very good route runners. But it's more than that. They've just got a really good sense for where to sit. And they're always on the same page as their quarterback in that regard. So I'm just going to give them a slight edge in that category. Switching to the defensive side of the ball, this is where I do think Toronto has a little bit of an advantage positionally. Now, Winnipeg's defense is excellent, and I know you look at the defensive stats, they're they're better than Toronto's in a lot of ways, but I actually like Toronto's defensive players better than Winnipeg's. So let's start on the defensive line. This is a really tough one to call. Uh, I give the edge here to Winnipeg. I think um, Toronto's defensive line has played well and has gears where it can be great. I think the Winnipeg defensive line doesn't quite have the variance that we've seen in Toronto. Those guys have been there and done that and get pretty constant pressure. Um, I, I would, I would still go, they are getting a little older uh, as we all are, I suppose. Um, But uh, Winnipeg for me gets to nod at defensive line. I'm the same way. I feel that, they can generate more pressure with a four-man rush than Toronto can. And I think it's really tight, though. I, I think I think they match up. I, I think they actually, uh, both defensive lines, I think, are set up to cause problems for the opposing offensive lines. I think I think Toronto can do some real damage up the middle with their, with their defensive tackles. And I think Winnipeg, as they have been for a few years, is a nightmare around the edges and is going to be something that the Toronto tackles are thinking about all week this week. But I think what gives what to me gives Winnipeg a slight edge is that they're able to play so tactically. You saw them against BC last week, oftentimes not really even rush. They're just closing in the box and they have a really good instinct for timing, getting the way, getting into windows, getting to passing lanes, jumping at the right time, deflecting balls. We saw a few almost get picked off last week. They're extremely good at that. And and they've got like the, all these guys with, with long reach that have an instinct for it. And so I think their ability to just uh, irritate, get in the way, knock the, knock the pass down, get in that passing lane is what 
gives them the edge for me. If we get um, Halifax game Oakman, then we win the Great Cup for sure. Oakman's always good, but he has a gear where he can take over a game. And you see it now and then. If we get Halifax game Oakman, then I, I, I give the... the I give it to Toronto, but I just don't know if we're going to. Yeah, and he was not as visible last week. Montreal was double teaming him nonstop. And that's what he's seen a lot of the season. If Winnipeg decides to do something else with him, or if Toronto sends enough heat where they can't afford to double team Oakman, then he has the opportunity to tear it up. And that's the thing. He is he is super useful taking up those double teams. I mean, that's that's a great advantage when you can have a guy taking a double team and he's not getting washed out. Where are you going with the linebacker groups? Um, well, if Winton were good to go, I would go Toronto. But um, I love Mwamba. I think Mwamba has played fantastic the second half of the season. Um, I expect Mwamba to be absolutely the best player on the field for Toronto uh, in the Great Cup. Um, gets a little dicey after that. Uh, Jones has been okay. Uh, Edwards, we, we know can be unbelievable um but i probably would go winnipeg um without mcmanus i am gonna go toronto on this because i think um, big hill's great i think moamba is better and i hate clemens so much i know he's he's good he's really good but I don't think he's Muamba good i think Muamba is a better middle linebacker and and i think like clemens looking at looking at him play the the will spot i think he he basically is jonathan jones like i think they're very similar yes close and and then if you're going to include the sam or the cover backer uh, i think toronto has the edge there i think chris edwards is 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 better than alden darby as much as i do like uh darby i think chris edwards is better so i think i've got i've got two of the positions toronto's better and and one's kind of a push so to me the argos win at linebacker uh, DBs is is uh, an easy one for me. I, I think this is a Toronto win. I think the Toronto DBs, I know the stats don't back it because of the style of defense they play. I would put Toronto's five DBs up against any team in the league. They're the most underrated positional group in the CFL. And I just don't, I don't think Winnipeg's DBs, they're disciplined, but I don't think they're anywhere close to the DBs that, Toronto's, to, that Toronto has. No, I agree. Um... And sometimes they do have. Sometimes they're they're not great, but I th- I think when when they have all of their normal starters and they have the game plan in and they're locked in, um, you know they they are a little bust prone, um, which is a problem against a Winnipeg team that will really punish any mistakes that you make. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the edge to Toronto as well. I think those guys when they are all uh, ready to go as they seem to be right now peter seems good to go um i think that's a i think that is a good defensive backfield and in terms of special teams i I think i just have to give a slight edge to winnipeg their special teams play is really good it's it's well coached obviously as well but i think grant is a more dangerous returner than anything toronto has shown grant's got three special teams touchdowns this season so I, i think you have to give them the edge there yeah, their their coverage teams, are, as you would expect, are are very good. Uh, they have the best named kicker in the league, <laughs> Legio. <laughs> yeah, my brother enjoys that. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Grant, I, I I give special teams a nod for Winnipeg. 
Let's talk about the game. How is this, how's this game going to go? Like even from, it's, it's going to be freezing cold. It's going to be very different. What's the crowd going to be like in your mind? Yeah, we've debated this. I, now I was very concerned at the Nova Scotia game and they were able to overcome um, a Saskatchewan crowd, although it was only 10,000. I, my concern is that Saskatchewan, all those Saskatchewan fans are just going to sell their tickets and are going to let, you know, the Winnipeg uh, fans take over the stadium. And I'm I'm deeply concerned it's going to be an 85, 90% Winnipeg stadium, uh, which is a problem. Coach Dinwiddie did talk about the fact that they're going to practice uh, going silent count this week. Yeah. And that's something they're anticipating. So clearly Toronto thinks it's a possibility too. I don't think it's going to be quite like that. I don't think they're going to need to go silent count in the actual game. Now, Mosaic does get pretty loud. It's it's closed in mostly um, the way that the stadium's set up. It's, it is a pretty loud place to play. But I feel like 40% of the fans aren't it, going to have a team to cheer for. Well, I hope. I mean, my hope is that the Saskatchewan fans would would not just hand over their house and home to Winnipeg and that they would come and as much as they might not enjoy it, uh, that they would cheer against Winnipeg as much as cheer for Toronto. So there is always that hope that they're not just going to let Winnipeg come in and take a great cup home in their own stadium. So Saskatchewan, show some pride. Uh, This is is going to be a, uh, really, this is going to be a vote on Saskatchewan. And if I see a lot of Winnipeg (laughs) in that stadium, then I'll know how for real you are. (laughs) I, I don't quite see it that way, but I just think that a lot of people that go to the Grey Cup are fans of the league, people that bought their tickets way back at the beginning of the season. And we're going to go regardless of whether or not their team made it. And I think that I think 40% of the crowd is going to be made up of people like that, as well as locals from Saskatchewan who wanted to go experience the Grey Cup and are still going to go and are going to enjoy a good football game, a good halftime show and and just get the most out of the experience. That, that, that'll be yeah, that'll be a massive uh, you know, that'll be such a big thing in that first quarter to find out how how loud it's going to be. There will be more Winnipeg fans there than Toronto fans, though. I don't think there's oh, any question yeah, about that. I know. All right. So, yeah, so I, I think that's that's a, you know, potentially a problem to potentially a huge problem, I would say. JB, it's time for your favorite segment of the show. It's OCDC. <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's you know, let's get into Winnipeg. Um, there is nothing particularly overwhelming about the Winnipeg offense. Uh, they are, as you'll hear us say over and over again, they are just very efficient. They don't take a lot of penalties. They stay ahead of the chains. Um, they are able to, you know, gain ground running. Um, Calaris is able to move the ball down the field in big chunks. Uh, they don't drop the ball. They're very good at catching contested balls. Uh, they present a challenge to a defense in that they are not going to make mistakes. So as a defense, you have to play um, you have to play really smart and really um, conservatively. You know, you just have to be able to play within yourself because they're not going you know they're going to run good routes and they are going to block really well up front 
And there's just no shortcuts for beating a team like that. It, it, it's what makes them so damn frustrating to play and why they won 15 games this year is because most teams do not have the ability to stay in a fight for 60 minutes. We've said many times this season, just in making our picks each week, there must be coaches on opposing teams that come in this week and have no idea why Winnipeg keeps winning because you look at what they do and it's just not... It's just not that it's just not that exciting. Look, look, so, look, at, look at the game that we lost to Winnipeg earlier this year. You know, they came in and they had, you know, 60 yards rushing, 200 yards passing. I mean, you should win that game 9 times out of 10. It's just the Winnipeg defense was able to turn the ball over, we were able to knock balls down. Um, you know, we're able to to force fumbles and they squeezed out a win, you know, so so from a DC point of view, what am I going to do with Winnipeg? Um, I think for sure, you know, much like Montreal, you you can't you can't let them kill you both ways, and you have to stop the run. You you can't let them get those easy five yards. Um, you know, Calaris is a very good quarterback, but right now he is not at a hundred percent, and I know. You know, you're uh, for me. I'm looking to 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 stop the run. They want to they want to run power run. They love going double tight or or having, you know, another offensive lineman in or their fullback as a tight end. Um, they want to ram the ball down your throat, and so I think it's crucial that Toronto plays heavy in the box, um, especially first down. You know, keep, keep that run under control. Uh, in terms of passing. As always, you're trying to keep Claris in the pocket. So whether you're just making sure you're not getting too far downfield on the edges, you're not getting sucked into the middle on edge, you're you're setting the edge. Um, you can occasionally, you know, set him up where maybe you come heavy on the on the right side and you force him to 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 roll out into a linebacker who's blitzing. I think you can do that once or twice a game to really catch them off. Um, so I'm, I'm looking to stop the run. They love to run up the middle. I think you, you just have to stop that run. And then, and then from a defensive back point of view, um, you know, mix in different things. Of course, you know, he, he wanted to throw the ball away a couple of times against BC. He seemed to have issues when they went seven DBs. Um, so for sure, I think you want to mix some of that in, uh, where you give him that different look from, from the heavy box look. Um, they love digs. He loves digs. That's all he threw in that BC game. Everything was a dig. Everything was a dig or everything was a drag. He wants to throw it up the middle of the field. Um, I, I think probably a single high um, look a lot of times, maybe rather than the, the split look. Um, I prefer um, where you're looking to to jump that stuff, you know, he wants to throw those digs. Don't let him, th- don't let him throw those digs, especially as shown. He's looking for him out of quads. Um, you know, you, you've got to identify him. I, I, I would even consider having a shadow on him um, and really take him out. You know, I know the other guys are fine and Dembski can be fine, but I would, I would do everything I could to eliminate, to eliminate him. Uh, you know, whether you want to run a safety over him all the time, or you want to just have a shadow, um, I would I would seriously consider consider doing that to to take him um, to take him to take that weapon away and see if those other guys can beat you. You know, Wolotarski catches 120 yards and 
that it wasn't meant to be. But you can't let Sean beat you. I think you have to you have to game plan to take him out, take away the middle run, take away those digs. And they love to run a lot of eye candy, you know, a lot of a lot of motion, fake jet, you know, you got you got fake draw, fake jet at the scene. You know, it was like fake jet, fake draw, and then he throws the ball. You have to be really disciplined. And again, that's that's the word that'll keep coming up. You have to be really disciplined in your in your keys at what you're looking at. But they they don't really have a jet threat. I know they run Dembski on it sometimes, and they just keep looking for that middle run. Take care of that middle run, and I think Caleros is going to. The ball is going to be there for picks. BC dropped a couple, just can't drop them. When you get a chance to catch that ball, uh, you know, take it. I think I think he's going to turn it over. I really do. I'm I'm I I think that's there if if you you mix it up. And then my last thing would be um, when they're at the fifty, they're fifty. I'd love to see a little more pressure. Send a five man, six man. Especially second down when you're looking clear run, a uh, clear pass, um, passing down. Uh, occasionally, I, I would I would send six, and it, it look Calaris did not look like he could get away from the blitz. Um, if you look earlier in the season in the Hamilton game where Hamilton beat him, um, they were all over Calaris. He couldn't get away from it, especially when they sent five or six. So I would at least three or four times. Uh, send five or six guys, and and really get after him because I I don't think he's quite the the rollout monster that he has been in the past. But uh, that's that's what I'm looking at for him. I think he like we've seen him kill teams with that rollout right, and then all those guys get open uh, as they go into scramble rules. But yeah, I I'm interested to see how limited he is. Uh, you know with. Uh, with the injured leg to see if that does slow him down and does prevent him from rolling out. You know what I want to try and create if if I'm if I'm coach Mace, I want to try and create situations where they're able to isolate Oakman on uh, on Jeff Gray on the left guard. And, and I feel like if you if you've got Muamba sort of showing mugging and even if he doesn't if you, even if you don't send him, you've just got him mugging right in front of the center and you can isolate Oakman on Gray. I think there's some opportunities to win battles there. It's not like he's bad, but I think that would be a really tough one-on-one matchup for him. So things like that, it's going to be interesting to see what what Coach May schemes up to try and take advantage of situations where I do feel like Toronto sometimes has the better athlete. Can you make it uh, can you make it work to your Oliver advantage? Oliver is really good at pass pro. He so is. you do run into that for sure. That's where I think I'm probably more prone to not blitz unless I'm sending six. So I, I wouldn't do it very often. But a couple of times when I go, I'm going to send, I'm sending the whole band. And then it doesn't matter, you know, with the pass pro, you're going to get there. Um, Let's shift know. to the offensive side of the ball. And much like you said off the, the top, you look at the last time these two teams played, Toronto's offense did anything they wanted to. McLeod Bethel Thompson throws for 315. Andrew Harris runs for 111. They they had every opportunity, but the offense just kept shooting themselves in the foot. Bethel Thompson threw two terrible interceptions. There was a fumble at the Winnipeg one-yard line, which probably should have been ruled an interception, but it was ruled a fumble. And then, of course, the special teams, they missed the the extra point at the end of the game that would have sent it into overtime. Uh, but they got down 17-0 on mistakes. And that's exactly what we've talked about this, this whole episode is Toronto just can't afford to make mistakes. They can't get behind early. And 
And I think you you do this by not being too aggressive. I don't actually want to see aggressiveness on the offense for Toronto. I want to see them play the way that Winnipeg plays largely. I want to see run, run, run. That's where they do have an advantage. I really feel like when you look at games in which Winnipeg has trouble, the other team is able to control the ball in the time of possession. And I feel like Toronto showed they could do that. I think Winnipeg can be run on. I think that's something that we even saw last year in the split that Toronto had with Winnipeg is that they were able to actually run the football. They were one of the few teams that could run the football last year against Winnipeg because their style of run is different from what everyone else features. There's there's nobody that comes right at you the same way that Winnipeg does it. And uh, Toronto's the only team that can actually match that. And so primarily that's what I want to see. However... It's hard to do it out of your traditional five wide set. Winnipeg's really good at that. They're the, between Big Hill and the four defensive linemen. It's very tough with a single back look, especially out of the gun where you know almost immediately where it's going uh, to run. And so I think you've got to have you got to have backfield action. I think they're going to have to use make use of those jets. And I think showing them a lot last week is going to uh, serve to be a bit of an advantage. I wouldn't hesitate in bringing in extra linemen too. Toronto, we've talked about how they've got such a great stable of of linemen sitting on the bench and not even dressed. Use them. Have eligible linemen that are in there on the end of your line or sort of serving as as wings uh, like we've we've seen other teams do. Winnipeg spent the whole game doing it versus BC. Right. And, and I think what that forces is you, you like Winnipeg's defensive personnel, force them to change that up, force them to take off one of their DBs that they love so much and put in somebody that isn't getting that typical starter time, force them to change up their groupings. But you can't do it if you fall behind early and you can't do it if you're not succeeding. And so you've just got to come out with that mindset. And this has to be preached all week to the offensive line, to the running backs, the whole team. We are going to live and die with the run. And if you're not converting first downs, that's okay. You can punt it away. Winnipeg does that too. Winnipeg will have series after series where they don't really get anywhere and they punt the ball away and they're waiting for you to make a mistake. And Toronto's primary job this week, don't make mistakes. They've got the athletes to be able to compete in the run game. And then once that starts working, now you play off that a little bit. What has Winnipeg had trouble with against Toronto? RPOs for one. I think you bring those in for sure. Those glance routes coming in from the slot because you do have to commit if you're if you're Big Hill. You you do commit. You see play action. He'll come flying in because they don't they don't blitz a ton. You look at BC in that BC Winnipeg game. Winnipeg blitzed 29% of the time, but it's not like they were sending all-out blitz. They ran cover zero twice, and both times it was with a few minutes remaining in the game where they were just desperately trying to make Rourke throw the ball early and not have anything uh, deep downfield. But aside from those two uh, cover zeros, those those two seven-man blitzes, you had five five-man blitzes, seven six-man blitzes in certain situations. So it's not like they never come. But yeah, 30% of the time is not overwhelming. It's not like they're doing it every play. This is not a, a, a Wink Martindale kind of defense that you, you have to prep for. Usually when Winnipeg shows four, they bring four. Usually when they show six, they bring six. Every so often they mug. But for the most part, you know what you're getting pre-snap. And so McLeod's got to be able to use these opportunities. And if he's got a he's got an RPO. It's much easier to read when the team does what they're showing pre-snap. And so I want to see those RPOs play. Now, I do like, I, I do think Winston Rose can be taken advantage of, but not the way he's been playing lately. Actually, I give a lot of credit to 
Winnipeg's corners. In the last few games of the season, uh, they, they've not been gambling. They've been sitting back. They'll let you catch those short passes underneath. They're not going after them the way we've seen, especially Rose, do that in the past, where he will gamble. He'll go for the pick and sometimes uh, leave that big play. He hasn't done that nearly as much in, in recent days, and he's sitting back. He'll give you the underneath stuff. I think Toronto has to take that. That's fine. Take checkdowns. If that's what they're giving you, a five-yard gain on first down uh, on a hook, take that five yards. And then hopefully the running game's working well enough to keep them off balance that you can take advantage of it. Like I said, on those RPOs, on play action passes, yeah, et cetera, I, et cetera. I couldn't agree more. I think the last game, the Montreal game was the perfect game plan. Um, Toronto has to, you know, Toronto has to score first. The numbers are undeniable. When uh, Winnipeg scores first, they win, period. Almost every single time. Uh, 10-0 this year. Scoring first, they win. Toronto is 6-1. and one. So, you know, you're like, well, how can that possibly be causal, not correlation, yada, yada, yada. I'm going to tell you. All I can tell you is the three games that Winnipeg lost this year, the other team scored first. Toronto has to score first, and Toronto has to be up at the half. And if they are, much like the Montreal game, they're going to win the game. When we were talking earlier, you told me you would take the ball if you won the toss. One thousand percent, I take the ball. I hate that. No, take the ball. <laughs> go get the, go get that score because if you don't, and Winnipeg takes it and they go down the field and they throw a touchdown to Shone, then you can just light your Argo championship sweatshirt on fire. <laughs> so I don't want that. We're 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 in this. We are the underdog. We are not equals. We are the underdogs. So we are throwing the kitchen sink at these guys, which means we're taking the ball and we're going to go down and we're going to score. We're going to punch the champ in the mouth. I think instead you just play smart and you play the odds, you play the percentages. Scared money don't make money. I, I know, and I don't believe in playing football scared. I agree with you on that. But I just think... The the alternative. So, well, you know, it sounds great. If you take, yeah. look, if you could guarantee me on the coin flip, they would take the ball, go down and score. Yes, of course. You got to score. Do that. You got to score. You, you got to believe in yourself. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But the alternative, if you don't score, yeah. now suddenly, not only is Winnipeg getting the ball to start the second half. Well, maybe, but, maybe, maybe there'll be such a strong wind that the coaches will be scared to fight the wind and they'll give us the ball. I stand by that decision from well, last look, week. Maybe they will. The right oh, it's windy. <laughs> and then great. Then we get the ball back. Win-win. Yeah, I don't think you can count on that. I don't think I don't think Winnipeg's taking the Well, um, I'm just saying taking the wind. Take the ball. Let's go. I think the, I think it's I think it's the call to make. That's that's my that's my thing. Because <laughs> we have to score first. You just have to. The Winnipeg wins every single game they score first. I don't know why. I don't know what black magic they have. I'm just telling you what it is. Let's get into our one thing. JB, what is your one thing for this game? Uh, my one thing is Toronto has to score 30 points or more. You are not going to win this game 14-10. Um, you have to get into a shootout with Winnipeg. You have to score early and score often and score every quarter. You've got to win every quarter. That's what makes them so damn hard to play against because you have to win every quarter. And if you win every quarter, nine times out of ten, you're going to have more than 30 points. <laughs> and if you win every quarter, you're definitely winning the game. You can't. Well, if you win every quarter, you're going to have over 30 points. That too. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, I could say win every quarter, but that's a bit 
it's a bit qualitative, isn't it? So I'm going quantitative here. I want 30 points as a as a minimum. So when they score 30, if we score 30, we win. My one thing is I want to see a first possession touchdown. Now, unlike you, I don't think it has to be uh, that you take ball, uh, like I said. But I think the first time you get the ball, you got to score a touchdown. I think that is big. You saw it last week, how that built uh, this sort of uh, momentum that Toronto had in that game. They had a great opening drive. They scored a touchdown on their opening drive. The team was fired up and the offense couldn't be stopped after that. This is a pretty emotional team and we've seen them struggle early on and that affects them for the entire game. They need a really good opening drive. Put put seven points on the board and I think they're going to be able to hang in here with with Winnipeg I, all the way. I want to see Toronto not wearing any jackets on the sideline. <laughs> that doesn't that stuff doesn't matter. That doesn't mean anything. Does. I I want them all no, wearing no jackets, jackets and sweaters. No jackets. No, we're, put on wear we're lots of layers. Some, we're not some dome team that went kayaking the day before. Okay, but, we can roll with Winnipeg. We're not scared of your prairie wind or your prairie cold. I don't want to see bare arms. I want them all to be wearing nope. lots of sleeves and keep warm on the sideline. Don't be stupid. No. Stand in front of the heaters. Put on your coat when you get to Only the sideline. Only the cloud. Nobody else. That, that doesn't make any sense at all. JB, what's your prediction for this game? How is the 2022 Grey Cup going to end? Well, I had initially, way back when, picked them to beat Saskatchewan in Saskatchewan, which would have been um, delightful. But uh, I got to see them beat Saskatchewan and Halifax, which is kind of a nice um, second place to that. I am I am going to choose, make no mistake, the Toronto Argonauts are the underdog. Just for an NFL Super Bowl, I think they would be a seven-point underdog. Statistically, Winnipeg is better in almost every single category uh, than Toronto. But I think that Toronto is peaking. I think Toronto is feeling more confident than they have felt all season in their coaches and each other. And I think your Toronto Argonauts are going to win 35-31. I hope so. I hope your your prediction comes through. And that sounds like it would be a pretty exciting game. I don't see it going that way, just logically. And I know I've been on the Argos since the beginning. Back in April, I predicted a Toronto-Winnipeg Grey Cup, and I predicted Toronto winning. I thought both seasons would go a little differently. I thought Toronto would kind of run away with the, the East a little bit. I thought Winnipeg would struggle. And I actually thought Winnipeg uh, wouldn't have been the favorites to even get to the Grey Cup, but would have found their way there. Instead, we've had a very different path to the Grey Cup than, than I first saw uh, back in in the spring and when I look at it now and I look at these teams I just think I think Toronto's in really tough I think Toronto can play with anybody I th- except Calgary but I think Toronto can certainly play with Winnipeg I think it's going to be really close I just think the added experience is going to be what does it here and I think it's just so hard not to make any mistakes and as exciting as Toronto can be and they can do some amazing things they do make mistakes. And I think one of those mistakes ends up costing them. I think this ends up as a 27-24 Winnipeg win. I, I hope I'm wrong. You know, for it's going to be a lot more fun to do a post-game podcast as the, uh, the Toronto Argonauts are great cup champions. But just logically, when I look at this matchup, I think Winnipeg is a slightly better team. Well, that will just about do it for this pregame walkthrough edition, this 2022 Grey Cup pregame walkthrough edition of the X's and Argos podcast. 
If you haven't done so already, do it now because you've got a long off season to come. We've got post-game podcasts coming your way. We've got awards to do over the next few weeks. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you tell all your friends about it so they're listening to this pregame walkthrough episode of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe, foe.